If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to CBS NFL host James Brown, JB, about his lifelong love of classic cars and why he thinks Phil Simms would look baller in a pink caddy. And we'll go super deep on the viral phenomenon that is Team USA singing Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles, a moment loved by everyone except Carmelo Anthony. We will also slam some hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And with me in the studio, a PR rep, Adam Willard. Yeah. Yeah. There, are you happy? How hard, how hard was that for you? There's no sizzle to it, man. A PR rep, Adam Willard. That's right. Just a guy with a notebook. Just a guy with a notebook. I just set up interviews. Whatever. <laughs> I pitch stuff. No big deal. If, yeah, okay. Great. Well, welcome to the most understated intro ever. And uh, Good career move. Don't get used to Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> also with us in our Brooklyn, New York bureau, our Emmy-winning Sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you doing out there? What is up, dogs? I'm doing great. Not with us tonight, Mr. Joe Reed, out and about with his with his gal. I think having a good time, doing what millennials do, taking time off, <laughs> <laughs> taking time off, not prioritizing work, and just hoping <laughs> and, and taking for granted just how close he is to getting fired. <laughs> Um, all right, well, we got a busy show, long interview with JB coming up on Classic Cars, but one I think you're going to find very funny, very fun. Um, but while we're talking about guests, yeah, mm-hmm. if you listen to the show, you know that we don't just invite people on behind the scenes. We slam the hammer on them publicly because they have come out of the sports world and told the rest of us about something they like away from their chosen profession. So, Gareth, let's start with you. Who do you want to slam the hammer to? Well, with James Brown on the show today, JB is one of, you'll hear we've worked together a lot. JB references it a few times. I got all blushy and embarrassed. But JB was the host of Inside the NFL uh, when I first started working on it. And that show has gone through some cast changes over time, but you'll hear his reference in that. I would like to slam the hammer to another former colleague on Inside the NFL. You know him best for his work on NBC Sunday Night Football. Brad and I followed him with the Bengals growing up. But he is also a lawyer, and that would be Chris Collinsworth. Uh, He's a lawyer? He's a lawyer, yeah. He has a law degree. And he has told stories on Inside the NFL in the past about the fact that while he was with the Bengals and when he was starting to look towards the end of his career, he was taking night classes in law school and Mike Brown and the Bengals, it might have even been Paul Brown at the time. He'll have to tell this story, helping encourage him to follow his path. So that is perfectly representative of the just not sports credo, if you will. So my hammer is to Chris 
Collinsworth. I think that's a great one. Very good. Adam, who do you want to slam the hammer to? Well, I mean, this is, I mean, literally the biggest hammer we could have in sports, but I do think it's interesting that after all this time, Michael Jordan has finally decided to um, stand up for a cause, and not that he um, hasn't been outspoken about things when asked, but uh, he put out a statement recently uh, condemning the violence against African Americans as well as the target against police, and he is making a a one million dollar contribution to the International Association of Chief of Police, a newly established institute for community public relations, uh, as well as the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. So a guy who has quite famously said, well, Republicans buy buy shoes too, and uh, really hasn't used his great fame and influence to take a stand on the issue. I think it's, it's never too late to do so. And very proud of him. And I think there's no better place than just not supposed to do that if you'd come on with us. Yes, that's right. There's no better place for an exclusive interview with Michael Jordan about him breaking his longtime silence over social issues than our podcast. Not that he, not that he needs us, <laughs> but we need him. <laughs> um, my hammer, guys. Allen Robinson, Jaguars wide receiver. Good young player. Uh, I think he came out of Penn State. I honestly don't know. Um, I think he met a Penn State. Uh, solid young player. I think he's uh, had a good, good, solid couple seasons. It really emerged last season as the Jaguars showed for the first time in a while some signs of life in that franchise. Good guy to follow on Twitter. Very active. Not just the same old, same old spiel. Um, kind of talks about random stuff. He had one tweet go out that was like, all it said was, Purge 3, the movie. Mm-hmm is the best one yet. This, you know, hey, look, I'm not I'm not exactly Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. But from that that verbiage, I can assume. Yeah. Uh, or conclude, if you will, that uh, he has seen the, the other, other Purge movies. Yeah. And I kind of would like for us to sit down and watch them all and then have that debate. About which one is the best Purge movie? Interest, interestingly enough, my girlfriend Anne. Hi, honey. She. Uh, gr- you might be able to hear the eye roll in the microphones as I was like, "Uh." Huh. When am I ever nice? Adam, Just let me Adam? do this. Yes. Look, you're no eye roll for me. I love love, man. Yeah. I love. Thank you. Anyways, Anne and I searched for it on Netflix. Um, a number of other movie services and couldn't well i would say i didn't look that hard because i didn't necessarily want to see it but Anne wants to see wants to uh see both those purges so maybe if this happens we can have special guest adam willard's girlfriend Anne on to talk about the purge as well why not i also uh see on twitter he's tweeting and um you, you see how brad was just like no your girlfriend no no i see him uh i see him uh he's talking about uh he's addicted to sushi so I think we could go either way. I don't look. Look, I, any significant other who wants to talk about a relevant topic, if they've got, if they've got the uh, the juice, they're welcome, man. What's Kelly coming on to talk about? I invite her to join us for the Sarah Spain interview about the Bachelorette. She said, uh, she said, if I wanted to sit and listen to you blabber on about <laughs> about stuff, I could do that at home. 
And no, what, no, what no. What people don't know is Kelly is well, hilarious. Yeah. She has a sharp wit. And you don't need to say this. She is, uh, she never listens to this show. Well, hope maybe someone will tell her about this, <laughs> like you. Uh, she is one of the most amazingly funny people I've met. It would be great to have her on. Yeah. Garrett, sorry, I haven't met your wife, but that'll happen. No, but she loves your voice. It's all right. All right. Well, those are our hammers. If you've got someone you want us to slam the hammer to, email us, justnotsports at gmail.com. Joe Reed, who's your hammer? Oh, Joe Reed's not here. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Just Not Sports. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, JB, James Brown of CBS's NFL pregame show of Inside the NFL. He's going to talk about a love affair that goes all the way back to the 60s with classic cars. Lots of great detail about his favorite rides. Uh, lots of fun anecdotes about... Uh, the emotional connection that he names his cars, how he comes up with those names, uh, how he takes care of them, how he customizes them. Uh, stick around. If you like uh, If you like our interviews where guys really get passionate about their topic, you will like this one. We'll be right back with it. Joining the show right now is James Brown. Known throughout the league affectionately as JB, James is the Emmy-winning host of the CBS pregame show The NFL Today and Showtime's Inside the NFL. In August, James will receive the Pete Rozelle Radio Television Award, an enormous honor which recognizes exceptional contributions to football broadcasting. But with camp just around the corner, we're going to put all the football talk in neutral for a moment and talk instead about one of JB's all-time passions, cars. Classic cars, muscle cars, fantastic cars. He has been described as an avid muscle car collector with a keen eye for great cars. So, JB, thank you so much for joining the show. And I just got to, I want to start off the top by saying if you were in the market for a beat up 2004 Volkswagen Jetta, I am your guy, my friend. <laughs> hey, Fred, first of all, I'm chuckling. Because I'm on the back end of everything that you just described, uh, and I'm sure our good friend Gareth Hughes can tell you: once you get married, anything that you thought you controlled is not the case anymore. My wife had told me several years ago I needed to thin the inventory out. I have been a dutiful and obedient husband, and have done just that. But that doesn't mean I still don't have a passion for it. And she has allowed me to keep a handful, so that's the case now. When did you first get the? When did you first get the bug? You know what? My my first itch, if you will, for this was before either you or Gareth were born. I graduated <laughs> high school in 1969, and there was a, uh, a gentleman at our school, um, um, the school where I went to um, um, back in high school, was Damascus Catholic High School, and there was a, a gentleman. God, I think his name was. Jimmy DiFilippo, he had a 1964 Chevy Impala, and he had it sitting up on ladder bars. It was black on black, sleek-looking, clean, had a nasty rumble up under that engine, up under that hood, and, and I was so desirous of that car. And, of course, 1969, 67 through 69 is when Chevy came out with the, um, uh, the Z28 Camaro muscle car, and, boy, was that a dream. So 69 was the year that I fell in love with that the Z28. 
could not afford it, but it was a mean car. And I said, if I ever get to the point that I can afford one, I would get one. I was playing basketball, so that's where my focus was. A family of five, mother and father, God bless them, who were hardworking parents to provide for the five of us. So clearly, any kind of muscle car was out of the picture, but it doesn't mean that the itch, the desire, the passion for one was still there. I've seen some of your collection. What was the first car you bought when you could afford, you know, a fancy car? And do you still have it? Great question, Gareth. Um, you know what? The first one that I got was, in fact, a 1969 Camaro. Uh, a Excellent. buddy of mine, Ryan Qualls, who was ex-military um, and worked and even in his civilian life, worked on a military base here in the Washington, D.C. area. And there was a buddy of his who was being shipped overseas, and he turned me onto the 69 Camaro, which was actually a 350 cubic inch um, car that had that hockey puck rally stripe on the fenders on either side and had what we call an ice tray flip scoop. It looked like the old ice tray huh. that you would put water in to put in, not the refrigerator, <laughs> but the ice box. that, <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I customized it from there. So that was the start of it. The actual first car that my brother, God bless him, and I owned was a 69 Camaro that my mom and dad could afford, which was a bone stock 307 cubic inch uh, Camaro. And my brother, while I was in college, he kept tinkering with the car. He would put big tires on it, big wheels. Then he started tinkering with a thrust muffler on it. I mean, he had that car making all kinds of noise, waking up the neighborhood, and he had no idea what he was doing experimenting with the car because when my parents allowed me to drive it from Washington, D.C., back to college up in Cambridge, Mass., I spent more money more money on oil than I did on gas. So that gives you some <laughs> kind of indication of how poor a job that it was. he did take the car. But I finally got my own where I owned it outright with that 69 Camaro that I was telling you about. And boy, I stayed Garrett, and I still have that car. The, I love those stories. I I love the, I mean, look, you talked about it, you mentioned it already in the introduction, that your collection is sort of a living, breathing thing and cars come and go. But I love that you held on to that first car, that those sorts of stories honestly warm my heart. So, and you know what, Gary, um, it's almost kind of like, it's almost kind of like your first date or your first love, uh, whenever it occurred, middle school or high school. That that was my <laughs> first love, and and you know what, that car is is not the most powerful car. It's not the most beautiful car out of the ones that I have, but it's the first one, and it has a soft spot in my heart. Clearly, so I don't plan on getting rid of that. I remember going to a club sponsored picnic at uh, one of the uh, military bases, uh, Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, actually, Bowling Air Force Base here in the Washington D.C. area by the waterfront, and and all my guys have these beautiful cars. Now my car is really done up nicely. Now it's a beautiful black with silver, uh, actually silver gray rally stripes on it. It's a five-speed. It's got a nasty motor in there for gearheads. Mm-hmm. They would know they would know what an L88 motor is, but it's a big block 427. Um, and, and, but it has the roll-up windows. And I remember one of the guys who came over to take a look at my car, and he says, man, you don't have anything electronic in here? And I'm like, is that the best that you can say? I got a sweet-looking piece, and you're going to crack on me. <laughs> I'm not having electric windows. 
give me a break. The car is the nastiest sounding car when you crank it up. But what I did do as kind of a compromise, there is a um, a mechanism or um, uh, uh, electric roll-up windows, if you will, that you can get, electrically powered windows, I should say, that you can get. You still have the roll-up handle, but all you do is tap the handle and the, one, the window goes up uh, automatically. So that was the only concession that I made because I still wanted it looking kind of classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, JB, I mean, you, when you talk about cars, and I, I find this a lot with people that are aficionados um, you know, it, uh, of classic cars, you really do talk about them, like personify them a little bit. You talk about them with like, you know, being sweet or nasty. Can you describe a little bit more about the sort of personality that these types of old school classic cars have and, and, and what kind of appeal that has for you driving them? Hey, Brad, great question, and I hope I answer the question well. And let me paint the picture this way. When I got that car, and under the direction of my friend Ronnie Qualls, and the extraordinary machinist-slash-mechanic who he introduced me to, a guy by the name of Bernie Day, who is a drag race car crew chief. He knows his stuff inside and out, and for those of us, who are described like me as only being able to turn the ignition. I can't turn a wrench, which denotes those who can get up under the hood and do their own mechanical work. That's not me. I didn't learn it in high school and add to it because, again, basketball was my thing. And then, of course, moving into sports broadcasting. But there are people like Jay Leno, Jay Leno, who I got a chance to meet when I was on his show and also see his collection, which we can talk about later. He can turn a wrench a bit as well, but he's got these excellent retired mechanics who tend to his collection of cars. Well, I'm blessed to have a mechanic who knows his stuff inside out, and even more importantly, is trustworthy. So he has helped me. But yes, I've named the cars, and you talk about the affection that you have for them. Um, my uh, niece helped me to name a few of the cars. The one that I'm referencing now is called Black Pearl. It's black with black interior. Uh, and looks like a shiny pearl. I've got one that I had that we call Black Cherry. It was a 69 Camaro that was black with uh, red interior, uh, built by uh, a guy who does a great job down down south, um, Scott Whitby. And then I had a um, black on black one as well that we call Black Silk. And then I've got this Nova, a 1966 Nova, and because it is probably the hardest hitting car when you turn it on that camshaft is just wicked we call that one hard hitting and then i've got a, a 37 ford coupe um that we call too sweet s-w-e-e-t <clears throat> because it is a sweet looking piece uh that i can just get in and drive and some work is being done on it now but i found when i've gone to car shows and gatherings that common love Male, female, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, you name it. That is a common bond. And everybody talks about their cars with such affection. And we know you don't go around and touch another person's car. Many people (laughs) even have a sign on it that says, do not touch. And when I take my grandkids out, I have to grab them because they want to go up and touch and feel, of course. But that's a big no-no with these cars because a thumbprint, a fingerprint, oh, my gosh, a car aficionado would just go berserk. JB, you talked about the names of the cars. What's the what's the process? What's the art of naming your ride? Is it is it do you do you favor more about the you know the look? Is it really more of like 
the way it drives and something about it gives you a personality trait, uh, the way you feel? Like, what's your process for naming a, naming a car? Both of the points that you made are points that people will rally around in terms or think around relative to naming the car. Um, the Nova that I have, because it is such a stout, high-performance car that sounds every bit as nasty uh, when it starts up and it looks like it just growls and it's ready to go. Well, that was a very obvious one to call it. And actually, somebody mentioned when I pulled up to a cruise night one time, they said in the vernacular, in the vernacular, boy, that's a hard-hitting car. Well, hard-hitting is what we named it. <laughs> uh, I had a 1941 um, kind of a, uh, what was it called? A sunburst orange no, uh, Willys that was built by a guy in Arkansas, Kenny Davis Hot Rods, and he did a beautiful job with it. It was um, sunburst orange with a peanut butter color interior. So as I was sitting and looking at the car, I was thinking, why not call it um, Orange Crush? Which, of course, football fans would think, well, you know, that's the Denver Broncos uh, of, of years ago. But my niece, the youngster, the millennial, she said, why be so traditional? Why don't you call it something like zest? Which also means that, you know, when you bite into an orange, that zesty feeling. So it wound up being labeled the zest. So I will employ young people in the process because they're thinking not traditional or old school like me to give it something with a little bit of a twist. And, and that's what we've done. I had a beautiful 55 Chevy that was um, yellow and white, and it had subtle ghost flames on it. Um, and up under the hood, the previous owner, an ex-military guy, had a beautiful mural painted up under the car with two cars painted on there. One was his yellow and white 55, you know, which I purchased, and his deceased sister's 1956 Chevy, both of them in a Sunoco gas station uh, with, you know, old-school kinds of... Um, a period looks to it. And I told him I would never change that mural because it was dedicated to his sister. And the car had a rose painted on the underside mm. of the mural. So we called the car Yellow Rose. And I didn't want to get rid of it, but my mechanic taught me, though, one of the worst things you can do with a beautiful car is let it sit um, because, you know, it can rust that way in terms of the condensation that's in the exhaust system. It'll rust through the pipes. You need to take it out to blow out the exhaust and put a load on the alternator. So all of my cars are what we call drivers as opposed to, and this is no knock on those who collect them to look at them, and they take them to shows in trailers, and the only time the car is driven is from the garage to that trailer, off the trailer at the show, <laughs> back on the trailer, back home. We call those trailer queens. Well, I don't have trailer queens. I have drivers. Um, and and so um, I did sell that uh, that. Um, that Willie's and the 55 much you talk about maybe extreme affection when you sell a car you want it to sell it to someone you know is going to take care of it and baby it and there's a family out in Idaho that I sold that 55 Chevy to and it does my heart so much good because the woman who owns it she took it to a couple car shows out there where it won the best of show she also has it mounted on the front cover of a calendar that she gives to the huh. clients because she's in real estate. The car has done really well. And the family are there, the Burgesses, out there in Idaho. And I am so happy that the car has found a caring home where they dote on the car. 
JB, I love the way you talk about drivers versus trailer queens there. It reminds me, a friend of mine plays guitar, and he he was in a guitar shop and saw this antique Gibson once, and he, he tried to pick it up and play it, and the guy in the shop got mad at him because it, it was too valuable or something like that. And I understand the no-touching policy, but if he put it, the guy in the shop said, we don't play that one, son. And he said, well, they might as well plant flowers in it because it's not doing any good at the guitar. Uh, I love it. But it's one of those interesting things about collectors, and I love that sort of relationship that things like driving and names cultivate in a collection. And, you know, having worked with you in the sports world and talked to you about a lot of your work in the entrepreneurial world, it's fascinating to hear you talk about the car world with the vernacular and language that comes along with it. Um what is that world like to you? Is that, I mean, car, how many car shows a year are you going to? I mean, do you have a whole set of friends that you interact with there? Are you trying to get uh, your children and grandchildren involved in that world as well? I mean, tell me a little bit about your ability to, the way you move in the car scene. You know, Gareth, and I'm sure that you're probably smiling because for those who are listening, uh, Gareth and I have worked together and still do. Uh, at that CBS, and I'm I'm just imagining Gareth is smiling like, boy, I've never heard JB talk so nonstop and and effusively about these cars with such enthusiasm because it is a different world. It is a hobby, and Gareth, I'm sure you found in the same with Brad when you interview as you guys have on your show, folks, and you're talking about whatever their passion is, their hobby. They are so excited about those things because we're so often talking about you know, football esoterica and, 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 you know, all of that. And, and, and I love it and I'm passionate about it and very blessed to have been involved in a career uh, for as long as I have and still be so excited about it. But cars is a different passion. Now, I, there was a time when I was a member of an active member of a local club here in the Washington area called uh, Unity Thunder. Um, and I joined them because they were as passionate about being involved in community activities and giving back to the community and trying to teach youngsters about the cars so that it would not be a lost hobby, if you will. Uh, because, mm-hmm. and, and again, we have an appreciation for the younger folks who are just as in, in love with the European imports. It's amazing how technology is such that you can take a car, um, like a little Honda that you drive to and from work, put a computer chip in there, get on a racetrack and blow the doors off of the competition and then take that same car on Monday morning and get back in rush hour traffic and drive to work. So don't be fooled by those cars because they are something else. And if you see one of those little foreign cars with a um, exhaust pipe that has about a three, four, five, six inch diameter, you know, you're messing with a car that is loaded. That certainly can fly. (laughs) But, you know, I I enjoyed that. Um, I would every Friday night, my wife, Dorothy Gareth, as you know, she would know exactly where I was. There was a crew spot that was our club-sponsored crew spot. We would get anywhere from two to 300 cars there. Maybe probably about 150 on, a, on an average night that would gather there. And to show you what it's like and the passion that we have, and all the cars have their hoods up, you're looking under the hood, examining how they beautified the uh, the hood, uh, the trunk, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, the engine area, the engine compartment with you know, either chrome or different colors, you know, the latest uh, springs that are used to hold the hood up. And my daughter would go with me. She went with me two or three times, 
And then for the third time, she would say, Dad, help me understand something. I don't quite get it. You guys go to the same cruise spot every Friday. There are about the same 150, 200 cars that come there. <laughs> you're looking up under the hood, and you're staring at the same engine like there's a breakthrough, some scientific breakthrough or mechanical breakthrough. What's the attraction? It's the same cause. And I had to stop and think about it from her perspective. But you know what? There, there's just a passion because everybody has a story behind their car. And it can be, you know, an old school Cadillac. It can be a 1945 Buick. It could be whatever. But to hear the stories attendant to that car and to Brad's point, the passion associated with it is just as exciting and interesting as what they've done to modernize the car. Look, I'll never forget, I went to go and cover an off-season training activity. The OTAs, optional is what they're called, optional training activity. So call it preseason training with uh, with Washington when Joe Gibbs was still coaching the team, his second go-around. And I go out there to meet him, you know, to talk football, how they're doing, you know, in the off-season, who's looking good, such and such. He comes off the field in the heat. His hair is matted with sweat. You know, and you can tell Coach was just a little tired. He was fatigued. Boy, the moment I told him prior to our interview, I wanted to show him pictures of my 37. He perked up and said, oh, i got to show you my 39 Chevy. Let's go to the office right now. He doesn't even take a shower. He goes in and he pulls out all these pictures. He shows his 39 Chevy being being uh, modified and uh, being uh, not being restored. It's customized because he wants to compete in what's called the Riddler Award, R-I-D-D-L-E-R, uh, at the uh, Chicago, I'm sorry, at the Detroit Auto Show up there. And it is the show that everybody in the world wants to be at with cars that they have customized, modified, whatever, many of them spending a million dollars or more on wow. these cars God. to compete My God. for the distinction of being a Riddler Award. But if your car finishes in the top eight, they call it the Great Eight. And, of course, the winner is, you know, is, I mean, like Miss America. So Joe Gibbs was saying, <laughs> you know what, James? I'm not going to spend that much money to get my car done. I put too much money in it already, so I'm probably not going to do that, and I just probably won't be in a competition. Well, two months later, I look online in a magazine. Joe Gibbs has, I don't know how much he spent. I wish I could tell you, but a lot of money. He still went on and had that car modified and customized. And his car finished in the great eight. And I know that had to make him feel as good as winning recently as he did the Daytona 500 or winning of any of his multiple Super Bowls. He was just as fired up about it. But that's how passionate the car enthusiast community is. I mean, having worked together with you, and I was joking around with Elizabeth, your assistant, before this. I, you're a busy man, but you are frequently doing, I've always been impressed with not just your community and charity work, but your entrepreneurial work. And it sounds like you've managed to combine that with your passion for cars. Um, does the passion for cars drive the, the desire to give back or the other? How have you managed to combine them? And is that a part of sort of everything you do? It is, and and what I've been doing, um, and uh, the tail end of your question about you know what I'm doing now, I don't get a chance to go up to the cruise spots as frequently now. I will try to see if there is a car show per year that I might be able to attend 
there are so many held around the country. I'm still trying to get to the one in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, the National Street Bot Association uh, gathering, which is just phenomenal. I would go to the Good Guys shows down in Charlotte, North Carolina, or up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, or Richmond, Virginia, when they had them down there. But I don't get a chance to go as much now because I am more uh, engaged and, and excitedly so, like Coach Gibbs, with a lot of my ministerial work. You know, I am uh, a Christian minister, so I'm doing a lot more guest speaking around the country at churches um, and at um, conventions, if you will. And I thoroughly enjoy that. But it's amazing how many people are still um, major car lovers uh, with that passion of mine as well, too, including a gentleman down in Roanoke, Virginia, by the name of Keith Farmer, who has a facility for runaway teenagers. And he calls the, hmm. the operation Straight Streets, um, a biblical reference. And, and he brings in kids off the street, and now he's involved in, in giving a safe haven for those involved in in human trafficking, the sex trafficking industry. And he's got a love for cars as well, too. And and it is our desire to bless him. I think uh, the gentleman I work with down in Roanoke, Virginia, by the name of Freddie King, who has a top-shelf upholstery shop down there, we're all looking to put together something for Keith because here his life's passion is to help so many others who are caught in very dire circumstances, yet he still has a passion for cars. And that really touches our hearts so much. We want to do something for him so he can still enjoy the boat. So I am hopefully marrying the two, even though yep. I don't get to as many car shows as I used to, or I don't come home on Friday night smelling like gasoline where my wife, Dorothy, <laughs> just points to the shower and tells me to go to rinse off. I don't get a chance to do that anymore. Uh, but again, she still allows me to have a handful of cars that I get a chance to enjoy. Not as many powerful cars as before, but cars that we call fat fenders that are old school cars like a 1941 Chevy Cabriolet or a 19, um, there's a 19, well, a 37 now. It's interesting, uh, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble because people who have a, a, a one make of car and they put a different engine in it, they call those cross-dressing cars. So, you know, the 37 <laughs> Ford that has a Chevy engine in it, and, you know, now with me being a minister, I mean no harm to anybody like that, but that's what they call cross-dressing cars. But Reggie White, this one Gareth will enjoy. Reggie White, uh, God bless him, the deceased uh, Hall of Fame football player, simply phenomenal. He also was into these old-school cars. He had two 1950 Mercuries. One he gave to his son, uh, who and his son drove it to his prom. And then he had another one that was in a state in uh, and, 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 uh, like the second phase of four or five of being restored and customized. Well, his wife blessed me by letting me buy that car because Reggie and I were very good friends, and it is now in the final stages of being restored, and I can't wait for that one to be ready. It's a big old car that many in the industry lovingly call lead sleds. I remember Sylvester Stallone was in a movie. I can't remember the name of that movie where he was um, a detective, and he drove one that was kind of a, uh, an army green 1950 Mercury, uh, and it'll come to me a bit. Um, but that movie certainly gave that car some visibility as well. But it will be ready shortly. So I'm mostly a Chevy guy, uh, although I do not <laughs> lovingly discriminate. I do have a Ford, that 37 Ford, <laughs> and I've got that 1950 Mercury in the inventory. I would love to have, like uh, Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback with the Pittsburgh Steelers, He's got like a 1970 uh, Hemi 
um, I think it's a um, Hemi Barracuda, Hemi Cuda. And, I mean, that car, that's one of the rare ones. And Ben Roethlisberger got a great uh, deal on that. There's so many guys. Deion Sanders drives around with some old-school Chevys as well, too. So there's so many guys, athletes, who have these old-school cars. And that's a great uh, jump, jumping-off point, launching point, to talk with them and get them uh, involved in topics other than football. You know, JB, you've been really generous with your time. We love, I mean, you, you, you have such a great passion. This is why we started the show, to talk about things with, with people that they're actually passionate about. To close out, we're going to do something we do on Just Not Sports all the time. Uh, you know, we know that, that athletes have those aptitude tests, like the, the wonder lick. And on Just Not Sports, we've got the wonder like, which is five questions about the, the thing that you like. But rather than, like, give you trivia or something like that, because, you, you, frankly, you would know, all, you'd know everything uh, way more than we would about any classic car uh, conversation, we wanted to give you the chance. We're going to give you some names of, of current and former colleagues and let you pair them up with uh, what you think is the ideal car for their personality. So, Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm going to kick it over to Gareth. And he's gonna jump around. We got five of them, and uh, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. So JB, for your wonder, like, just give us the first car that pops into your mind for each of these guys, and we will start with one of your two blonde quarterback colleagues, Bill Sims. <laughs> oh, Garrett. You know what? I would think um, he kind of reminds me of Elvis Presley, so I'm thinking of a big Cadillac. Phil Sims, and, and you probably know him even better than me as much as I love him, but because I know he loved you, I would think a pink Cadillac any year, but probably an, probably an old-school pink convertible Cadillac with white interior, probably a 1970s vintage Cadillac for Phil Sims. And for Boomer Esiason, now Boomer, a Boomer had a nightclub when he was playing with the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was oh. called La. It was called La Boom. That was the place to go. I mean, it was like a, a club on a barge out on the water there. And I'm telling you, that barge was bobbing in the water when he had it packed uh, on on you know uh, on game night. So Boomer, I would probably give him something like a convertible. You know, Boomer actually is 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 real is real conservative as I look at the cars that he drives, but I'm going to give him a convertible, probably electric blue. Um, let me do a Lexus. No, no, no. Boomer will be no. He he will be American. So, um, you know what? I might have to give him a uh, a sports car like a um, like a Chevy sports car. Um, that, that's got to be a convertible for Boomer because I still have that nightclub in my mind, and he want to pull up in something that was kind of, kind of stylish. Maybe even maybe even a Chevy um, Corvette. That's a convertible one that Boomer would pull up in. That's what I see Boomer in. All right, let's stick with. I, I actually made a joke here in our notes. I was like, I think Phil Sims will get an angry car, so the pink Cadillac is even better. If it's not, it's the exact opposite. So you know what? Hey, 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 Gareth, I think it probably would be the exact opposite, which is exactly why I would want to see Phil Sims in a pink convertible Cadillac. Amen to that. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's go with your other former uh, blonde quarterback colleague sticking with that team. What about Terry Bradshaw? Terry Bradshaw, the car for him would be any truck in America. Um, I, have a, I have a 2005 um, Chevy Silverado, which um, and, and Gareth, you you've been there at the weekend place down in in Southern Maryland. They call them Texas Cadillacs down there. 
So a Texas Cadillac is what I would have Terry in, and I think a big old pickup truck, a big old dually, uh, would be exactly what will fit Terry because when Terry is off the set, he will get the ugliest looking, <laughs> raggediest color of flannel shirt, plaid flannel shirt that he'd have not tucked in but hanging out and flapping. When I catch Terry in the off times, he called me one time from a bait and tackle shop and I asked him what was he doing there and he said he was going there to buy some snake leggings because he had to do some work out in the field. And I started screaming and hollering at him, calling him all kinds of loving names now, you know, with engaging profanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Loving names. Terry got the owner of the shop to put my phone call on the PA system while I'm yelling at him for about 30 seconds. And he comes back on and he says, you know, all of my good old boy friends down there heard you for the last 30 seconds. And as black as I am, I turned white that Terry would actually pull something <laughs> like that on me. Yep. Well That's done, Terry. Time. Nice. Um, your other former Inside the NFL colleague, Chris Collinsworth, what would he drive? You know what? Chris has kind of got an elegant air about him. Um, when he was younger, he will tell you, when he was uh, down there in Tampa, his his uh, house was, was party central. Uh, until <laughs> he met the lovely and beautiful Holly, who turned his life turned his nose, turned his head, everything around. But at this time, I would see him probably driving something a tad bit more elegant. He might be a Jaguar guy, or as they say, Jaguar. Um, but he would be a Jaguar. He might be um, he'd be kind of elegant and understated, though, in, in the cars that he drives. Maybe, maybe, a, uh, maybe an S-Class Mercedes. That's what I see, uh, Chris. Chris is a very studied individual. Um, believe me, you won't have any facts on him. He will have done his homework like the lawyer that he is coming into court Absolutely. well prepared to argue either way, no doubt. And last but not least, your current stylish wide receiver colleague on Inside the NFL, Brandon Marshall. What would Brandon Marshall drive? Brandon Marshall. Now, he would definitely be in the in the uh, Mercedes-Benz, Lexus, BMW category. I saw a piece done on him, Gareth and Brad, um, where he was going to work. He gets into his Mercedes Sprinter van that was configured for like an executive that had the captain's seats, had the computer table that flipped over his lap to get work done. So you can, and and he had the iPod uh, and iPad a table, a, a jack to uh, to connect with his devices, and he was getting work done, studying plays, reviewing the game plan for the upcoming week's opponent. So I would see him driving, or in this case, having someone drive him in that Mercedes Sprinter <laughs> van, or him, or him getting in an uh, an S six hundred. Um, the style of Mercedes. That's what I see Brandon Marshall. But for, and, and Gareth knows him far better than me. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to work with him. But he seems to be uh, an athlete who has taken very good care of himself, you know, an elongated career as a result, who does understand the game extremely well. He's got it internalized. And the insight that he's been providing uh, on inside the NFL with little nuggets about nutrition, conditioning, uh, mind uh, development, what have you. I'm really impressed with him, and it speaks volumes because anybody at that level who's enjoyed that kind of career 
truly is not just a run-of-the-mill person. He will be the kind of person who's doing everything to stay ahead of the game. JB, you're going to have a blast working with Brandon, and I think that it speaks to how he's trying to elongate his career that, as you said, he'd be the guy to hire a driver as opposed to driving himself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, 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 Darren and Brandon, as you guys knew before starting this uh, podcast here, I had to take um, – I was blessed to work out a great uh, arrangement uh, with uh, Airstream uh, and getting an Airstream Sprinter van uh, that's made by Mercedes but configured by Airstream. It's the interstate uh, version. So I went and got it, and my aim was, again, still being a lover of vehicles, of cars, of getting one where I can enjoy quality time with my grandkids, uh, fellas. I've got three uh, granddaughters, age six and four, and the grand boy will be, uh, the grandson will be three years at the end of August. And But I wanted to spend more time with them, and they're growing up like weeds. So we were able to work out a great deal. My um, uh, agent, Sharon Chang, worked out a great deal arrangement with Interstate. I'm sorry, with Airstream, the Airstream Interstate version that I have. So that's where I was taking it to get a few things done. And I was excitedly sharing um, that with Brandon when I saw him at the promo shoot that we were doing. And I said, Brandon, Mm -hmm. the only thing I didn't quite think through is, I'm driving mine. I don't have a driver like you. So he said, you didn't quite do the deal. You didn't quite do the deal fully. I said, but you know what? I'm having such a blast driving it because, again, we close with the way I said earlier. I don't believe in trailer queens. I like to drive my vehicles, and I'm loving driving this one. Well, I, that's a motto for life. Uh, JB, we, we can't thank you enough for joining the show. We want to encourage everyone to um, you know, clearly they'll be, they'll be following you on the CBS pregame and on Inside the NFL all season long, and check you out on Twitter at JB Sportscaster. Uh, congratulations again on the Roselle Award. I mean, just an enormous honor and a great testament to your uh, your career with uh, pro football. So. Uh, we, we hope you get a little bit more rest, a couple days' worth before training camp kicks into high gear, and, and thank you for coming on Just Not Sports. Hey, Brad and Gareth, thank you both for having me talk excitedly like a little kid, which I don't get a chance to do much <laughs> of. But you guys you guys got the best out of me with that, and I wish the both of you, I pray, continued success for what you're doing. Thank you, sir. This was absolute fun, so thank you guys both very much. In the year 2002, a singer-songwriter named Vanessa Carlton wrote a piano-driven pop song called Interlude. It was to be the lead single on her album Be Not Nobody, and eventually the track would be retitled A Thousand Miles. The song became a hit, vaulting all the way to number one on the charts and scoring three Grammy nominations. It's that once-in-a-lifetime achievement that would become her signature song for the rest of her life. Well, f*** off, Vanessa, because that song belongs to Jimmy Butler now. Joe. Cue the music. And I need you. And I miss you. And now I wonder. Look at Katie. Look at Katie. <laughs> yes, that's the U.S. men's basketball team, or some of them, singing a thousand miles on a flight to Rio, which set the internet on fire this week after appearing on multiple players' Instagrams. So today, at the behest of one, Mr. Adam Willard, we are breaking down all the magic in this video. Adam, who won the Team USA performance of 1,000 Miles? Jimmy Butler. 
Well, really? Jimmy Butler for vocals, Kyrie Irving for choreography. Uh, I'm going to say no to both of those. I have a different winner. Okay. Carmelo? Mello. Mello yes. but he didn't won win. that. He won the video. That was a that was a misleading question. No. He he won the moment. When they pan over to Mello, it's like so for our listeners. Well, first of all, it, we'll Google link it. to this. If you haven't seen it, Adam, why don't you go ahead and describe the magic of the video? Well, it depends. There's a couple different videos that we're talking about. There are actually a few spliced together. It's like it's like if eight Zapruder films existed and you have to like <laughs> you have to like yes. put them together in the courtroom. So the first video is DeMarcus from DeMarcus Cousins' phone. Right. DeMarcus Cousins, uh, he, it's the beginning of the song. And uh, wait, hey, hold on, Joe. Can you sing the song? No, I'm, I'm not gonna be doing that Making for you. Making my way downtown. Oh, there he walking is. Walking fast. That's all. Demarcus Cousins is the first guy to have the video. For whatever reason, that goes less than ten seconds. He, for some reason, it was just like he bailed on it. So then, um, Demar Derozan from the Toronto Raptors is sitting in front. He's sitting in front of Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving, and then he catches he, amazing camera work, actually, for the cell phone. It's very good. He has the cell phone on him, but you can also see – I mean, it's on the, Jimmy and Kyrie, but it's also him. You can see him orchestrating. DeMar DeRozan clearly doesn't know a single word to this song because he's just moving his hands in kind of a creepy way. It's no, no, he, he's doing the keyboard. He's doing the piano to it. Uh, just barely. You know, he, but he's but he's doing. It. <laughs> then someone says, "Hey, look at KD." He rotates the phone, and K, KD is there wrapped in a giant comforter du, duvet. <laughs> it's not okay. Can we st- <laughs> let's pause here. We're gonna have to pause as we go. He's clearly not using those awful airline blankets. No, unless on chartered flights that I can't afford. That's the airline blanket. If that was the airline blanket. All my guest rooms would have that. I'd sneak that out in my pants every time. Oh, I see what you're saying. You'd get it off of the it's, plane. It's better than the comforter I currently use. Right. And Katie's wearing it as like a towel. And on he's a, a seven footer and it's covering him. So that is yeah. like. Oh, I didn't even think about the size the in there. snuggiest duvet ever. <laughs> yep. Said snuggiest duvet. Snuggiest duvet. Then, so. But the, it was not a snuggie. No, but it's like, like a poncho. cozy. Yeah, yeah. No, he's clearly rapping. Like I, I was. He probably had a chamomile in his other hand underneath the blanket. <laughs> that's how. That's how you do it. That's how I snuggie too. So, so then the so looking at the camera, we see this moment where it's KD back to the singing, and then kind of tilts back again, and there's Carmelo in the corner looking. Like a grump. Winning the video. That, he looks amazing in the video. Joe Reed, can we get a can we get an opinion on this? I'm looking up the video right now. Joe Reed. Joe, have you not seen it? I watched it earlier oh. today. Oh, Did I, I was playing Pokemon Go video? and I was too busy. <laughs> you. Garrett, go ahead. Part of part of what I think makes it such a win for him is that he's probably the oldest dude on that plane. So he had to live through this song. Not as a throwback song, not as an ironic song. He had to live through that moment. 
And he had to be thinking to himself, this is the wackest music in the world. Why are we listening to this? Well, so it should have made him nostalgic because this song was released during his freshman year. Well, his only year at Syracuse. That's right. I was just thinking that. Wait a minute. When he was merely a freshman? Oh, very good. I don't get it. Thank you. The Verve Pipe? Come yeah. on, man. If we're going we nostalgic, you got to go fresh, all the way. Man. Oh, I mean, I, I actually was thinking about that song, but what's the connection to to Mellow on it? No, you were just doing, we're talking about uh, <laughs> early, bad 90s, oh, early 2000s. Oh, well, in that case, yeah. guys, is time to wrap this up because it's almost closing time. There you go. <laughs> you're you're getting it. This, conver- this conversation. I hope you guys had the time of your life. This conversation's giving me a chumba wumba. <laughs> what? <laughs> um... All right, so Mello steals the show yep. by far. I want to. Well, no, yo, let's talk about who really stole the show. Who? Vanessa Carlton, when she tweeted at Mello. Okay, because I wanted to get into this because I was Adam and I work in what we call earned media, that that space of marketing where it's all about generating organic buzz and authentic conversation from influencers and people who matter. And so this is like an earned media (laughs) score because, you know, it just, it's a single thing that blows up and everyone jumps in. The one thing about the news cycle though, that drives me crazy is when something blows up and then there becomes sort of this reaction to it that, that takes over the conversation. And then people feel like they have to react to the reaction, even if they didn't do anything wrong. This is a classic case with Mello. He was apologizing in a post-game interview that they did the next day. And he was saying sorry to Vanessa and he came off wrong and stuff. Mello, you are allowed to not be super excited to hear Jimmy Butler butchering (laughs) this pretty standard song. I agree. You do not need to issue an apology. I I was actually angry. Like, I saw him go back and forth on Twitter with her about this. And I was like, why is he apologizing for this? Because the today's athletes are taught to apologize for everything, not to offend anyone. Awful. I mean, come on. I agree. Okay, no, no, wait. Well, well, let's, can we, Did she so, start it? Did she complain about him? No. She, she in fact, she said, uh, at Carmelo Anthony, I get it. Though the boys did sound pretty good. Okay, but that was in response to his apology. I don't think so. I think, oh, was oh that came first, and then the apology. I think so. I don't know. I don't know. Most of her Twitter feed, just so our listeners are aware, staunch anti-Trump rhetoric. <laughs> like she is <laughs> real strong going for Hillary. And as I'm sifting through, I kept expecting like she's gonna be just reacting to this mega story that's surrounding her. The first mega story surrounding Vanessa Carlson since, you know, this song came out 13 years ago. What do you mean? I mean that she should send Jimmy Butler some royalties for if, if there's any spike in iTunes, because no one's been thinking about making my way downtown. Oh, I update her Wikipedia page weekly, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sure you do. We look into her Wikipedia page. Adam Willard is no longer allowed to edit this Wikipedia page. I, anyway, I was annoyed that Carmelo felt like he had to, If I was Carmelo, I would have just been like, look, that song is not what I want to hear at 7 in the morning. Jimmy Butler, you know. Not exactly uh, not exactly Justin Tucker from the Ravens or uh, Ben Utecht. Former Colts tight end who has a Christmas album, or Draymond Green for that matter. We can talk about that. Is Draymond a good singer? He's a he was be- he's, no, no. He's a better <laughs> singer. Uh, Jimmy Butler also dropping 
Luke Bryan crashed my party. Now that's I did Adam. not see any country coming. I was like, oh, wait, I know this song. Okay, Adam, can we talk about this for a second? Sure, man. Person of, Being a person of color who's into country. Yeah. Do you get, you've talked about this before, like of being up at like country festivals and people are like, yeah. what are you doing here? Is there a stigma to being into country the way yes. that I might feel like, if, like that scene in Office Space where white guys like rapping to the ghetto boys and then turns it down so he doesn't look like a poser or whatever. Is there still a stigma to being mm-hmm. black guy likes country? Or yes. No? What's the stigma like? What does it feel like? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think it's more of a sh- people are shocked. So I think it's How two, shocked? I think it's two things. When I'm at Surprised, a country right? country, mu- country music festival in um, Wisconsin, they're embarrassed because they feel like maybe they shouldn't be wearing that Confederate flag shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But this is what I get. This is mainly what I hear at a country fest uh, at country fest when I've gone in Wisconsin. Hey, Hootie. Hey, Darius Rucker. Uh. Hey, Udi, what's up? Hey, Darius Rucker. <laughs> yeah, four days of that. Ooh. So I stopped going. Yeah, I've stopped going. But he's not even country. He's a pop rock. He's guy. country now. He yeah, he's country. he yeah. did go country. He's legit country. He, he, he did is a good now. job. Speaking of good PR, he did a good you job. You love wagon wheel. <laughs> you do love wagon wheel. Yeah, me and my friends get in fights over this all the time. They will say Old Crow Medicine Show, better version of wagon wheel. No, no, sir. Darius Rucker, better I, produce, better better instruments. Adam, I get in a lot of arguments with Joe about uh, he thinks Vanessa Carlton's version of A Thousand Miles is better. I think Jimmy Butler, <laughs> way better. I stand my ground. You're saying, <laughs> all right, Gareth. Uh, no, now you steered it back on topic. I just wanted to ask Adam, as a large man of color, where do you put the three sticker on your car? The three sticker. Go ahead. What does that mean? Dale Earnhardt, I have to tell you this. Oh, I don't like NASCAR, man. man. Listen, growing up biracial, I get to pick and choose what I want from each each culture, (laughs) and NASCAR is not something I've picked up. Are you saying you're a cultural blade? (laughs) Yes, you got all of our strengths and none of our weaknesses. That is correct. I'm a day walker. (laughs) So, like, so like you can dance, but you don't like NASCAR. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, no, I've no. worked you, with you NASCAR. like you like country, yeah. But you can also dance to hip hop, yeah. <laughs> That's like a blade culturally. Pretty lucky. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's like guys, but, hold on. So after, after about a year and forty episodes, I think Brad has finally found the new introduction for Adam Willard. Please, Rather than being a <laughs> please, let's not. PR guy. He is now, and our other co-host, the cultural blade. Adam Willard. A but, daywalker. <laughs> You're the daywalker. But it was confusing because my dad, <laughs> so my dad, you, so I grew up in a mostly white neighborhood. So like my dad would tell me I'd eat macaroni and cheese. And he's like, black people don't like macaroni and cheese. And I'd be like, is that really a thing? And then <laughs> we'd go to the delicious. south and I would <laughs> yeah, see, I'd be like, there's 17 different kinds of macaroni and cheese. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you're just lactose intolerant. You can't say black people don't like that. <laughs> it was confusing growing up. It was confusing. Look. Uh, but wait, back on country real quick. Um, one of the best, and this is that got me off of modern country a little bit. Because um, I heard someone analyzing like the beats permitted in country, particularly the band uh, 
Florida Georgia line. And one country artist com- compared new country. Basically, he said, uh, new country is rap music for people who are afraid of black people. That is a fascinating <laughs> take. So the beats per second, you mean there's, it's slowing down? The beats, like the beats per minute, the hooks, the, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The way the music is, the composition of yeah, the music, right. very similar to rap music. Lyrics oh, different, but, topic material different. Maybe the, yeah, there's a little it's twang. Stolen very similar. So much slang from rap music. Like, How You Like Me Now is a country song, wasn't it? Like before uh, The Heavy did it. Or uh, 24-7, 365 was somebody's album title. Yep. Like, all those are rap terms. Yep. I, You know, I've always said that, like, country is like other music in sheep's clothing. Like, I, I remember I was a music critic in Peoria, Illinois in the early 2000s for a couple of years. So, being in Peoria, we would get a lot of, like, Kenny Chesney through town, Rascal Flatts through town. And it always say, like, Rascal Flatts was a pop group. You know, they were much closer in how they looked and how they sang to you know, 98 degrees than they were a lot of, in my opinion, like old school country. Kenny Chesney was blatantly trying to corner the aging Jimmy Buffett market. Like he was just a beach bum partier who went full that way when he got the Corona deal. And he's like, great. Like facade is down. I think a lot of country stars are, are, like you said, are singing other styles of music. Um, But you have to be careful because there's this, this, country image you have to project yes um and by no means do i want to i'm am i saying country artists are racist um but from personal experience some of their fans are country has a long history of african-american performers like nelly hello <laughs> <laughs> cool j the song he did with brad paisley oh that Incredible. was the worst the, maybe the worst <laughs> song the worst era of country when it's like hey there's a new there's a new nelly mashup with sounds i was like Please, I need to move from Peoria. <laughs> Nelly and Tim McGraw. That was uh, over and over again. Is that it? Oh. Okay, wait. We've gone really off topic. Let's no, get- I, I think that's okay. Because this is kind of, I mean, this is enjoyable. Let me go back to Jimmy Butler <laughs> for a second. Yeah. What do you want to, okay, before I get to that, let me go back to Jimmy Butler for one second. I'm going to give, I give anyone credit for being off key. Okay, if you're not a professional singer. Uh-huh. If you're off key have volume like you're not afraid to be off yeah you get a ton more credit than someone sort of sheepishly doing whatever and jimmy butler's just owning singing this just the guy at the karaoke bar if you're gonna own it own it yeah that's right i don't care how many jaeger shots you've had go up there and give it your all way more respect for jimmy than damar who's kind of like into it the only thing damar is like the filming is great damar doesn't know the words to that song and so he's just making expressions at the face and showing us as well as well-maintained eyebrows yeah, but you can just make it up. It's like, I don't know the words either, but it's like, making my way downtown, walking downtown, look at me in the sunshine. It's not hard to just making make it up. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. See? And I miss you. And I need you. And now I wonder. 
I think we got something here, guys. We got to pick it up, but no, no, I, no, I got it. Sorry, I didn't hit the note on this conversation for sure. Well, Mello is he's this. I think Gareth is the mellow of this conversation. I think so too. The mellow sitting. I don't like this. I don't like people singing on planes. Let me throw this out. Ridiculous. I think I love the conversation. What other songs do we want Team USA to tackle now? Like, if you could give them a request right now, box style, and punch it in, like, what would you do? Uh, Don't say Wagon Wheel. Bittersweet by Big Head Todd. Big Head Todd and the Monsters? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. (laughs) Wow, he's right. I would like (laughs) not see that coming. (laughs) You might as well have just said Toad the Wet Sprocket. Like, what do you do? Big Head Todd? Yeah. Sing this song. How's this go? Uh... It's bittersweet, bittersweet, more sweet, more sweet than, than bitter, 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 than, bitter sweet. than sweet. It's a bittersweet <laughs> surrender. surrender. That's terrible. That is a terrible song. And you lacked volume two. Fail. <laughs> we could retake that if you no, want. No, please don't. No, right. All right, They're a Colorado line. band. I, so besides, I got you. One of my favorite songs. I got you beat times, times 100. No, uh, you can't after that. The, mine is the acoustic version of If I Ever Fall in Love by Shy. Oh, f- you're right. <laughs> I read. Da do da do da do do. The very first time that I saw her brown eyes, brown eyes. Yeah, said, hello, hello, and I said hi. I knew from you right then you were the one. But I was caught up in physical attraction. But to my satisfaction, baby, it was more than just a friend. Joe, take it. And if I ever, ever fall in again, I will be sure that the lady is a friend. And if I. Joe, Ever nothing. fall in love so like, true. I don't know what is happening He's right like, now. He's like, what's R&B? <laughs> I'm just being sung at There's by two grown men. It's really making me nervous. in the world to cover this up. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere Carmelo Anthony. That Somewhere Carmelo <laughs> Anthony not enjoying this. Uh, I think that, <sighs> that'll close this out. I think uh, our overall impression is Melo wins the day. Jimmy Butler and Kyrie. Doesn't he lose the day for apologizing then, though? Mm. Uh, no, I don't care if he apologizes. Vanessa Carlson loses for just you know, just not being more effusive with like effusive with like I love this great job. I love you, Mello. Oh, she was cool. Vanessa Carlson loses because she, she wrote was this very song. cool. I think you're being too hard on her. I think it's she was a good song cool about it. It's not sure. better than Shy. You know, if she hadn't written this song, maybe they would have been singing Shy. Adam, any closing thoughts on this? No, man. Uh, we've said it all, and yet nothing at all. And we are back. Um, We talk a lot of the show about when athletes make music or movies or pick up hobbies. A lot of media and coaches call that a distraction. But, hey, man, life is work and the distractions away from work. So uh, we don't always think about sports either. So on this show, we're going to give you a little taste of the things that are pulling us away from work, too, just like our athlete friends. Uh, Adam, what do you, what's distracting you this week? You know, uh, I'm trying to be 
slightly less pessimistic. I wouldn't even say pessimistic. I would say less cynical. Um, Uh So watching, uh, looking out for sources of inspiration. I would recommend, you guys may be going to laugh, but a Netflix documentary um, called I Am Not Your Guru featuring Tony Robbins where he does these six-day workshops um, called A Date with Destiny. And if for no other reason, watch this for the amazing stories that he tells. Uh, I think they do a beautiful job of just, um, I think what a lot of people would consider as him a hokey self-help guru. But watching what he does with, with people over the course of six days was pretty spectacular. I think it was a really well-made film um, and really gives you a, an insight, I think, not only into his life, but really that kind of profession where it's really your job to take people in a short period of time and try to uh, inspire them to make a positive change. So uh, excellent documentary that uh, you wouldn't normally click on and I wouldn't normally click on, but I had seen um, promos for it in quite a few places. and it was it was good, so I'd recommend it. it. I dare you to watch it, even if you think it's cheesy, and not not leave a little inspired. Well, Gareth, uh, Richie Rich over here has got Netflix instead of watching it through their neighbor's window like me. <laughs> um, it's because I listen to the Tony Robbins tapes. Yeah, you're more much wealth. more successful, Gareth. What's distracting you this week? Uh, I have to give a, uh, my distraction is my album of the summer. I've recommended a couple new albums. Now I'm going way back. Neil Young. After the success, I believe it was of Harvest, uh, went into what he called his gutter phase or ditch phase, where he kind of skewed way dark and weird. And in that, it's a three-album trilogy, but the one I'm going to recommend is Tonight's the Night. Um, I don't recommend listening to it in the daytime, but it is dark, it is funny, it is sad, there's a lot of death. Um, but that is a beautiful album that if you haven't listened to it, go back and rediscover it. Neil Young's Tonight's the Night. It's a good one. I, I was actually kind of laughing because when you said, when you said uh, it's the album of the summer and then you talk about an album that's like 40 years old, <laughs> it reminds me when Stephen King wrote for Entertainment Weekly and he would do his year-end list. And he would just, for movies, he'd be like, these are the best movies I saw, you know, whatever. For books, it was like, these are the best books I've read, but he opened it up to anything. So one year was like his top, top 10 books, like number two is Don Quixote. And I was just like, well, duh. <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be on next year's list probably too. Along with like the Bible. <laughs> In a big year for the Bible again. You know, I don't know, man. Anyway, my distraction, guys, kind of going back to Adam, like, you know, inspiring, but in a weird way that you're a little embarrassed to talk about, but not quite. Do you guys know Casey Neistat, the the filmmaker? Mm-hmm. Famously uh, made the Nike Make It Count video, which I believe is 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 a top five branded content video of all time. Uh, really active dude. Not everyone's cup of tea. Like I think a lot of people would kind of eye roll at uh, me talking about it. Casey had a lot of success, and he was talking kind of openly about how that's kind of chained him to his desk, made him spend a lot of time on conference calls. And he wanted to get back to the just the gra- grassroots of like making films. So he started this vlog where every day he puts together like a new movie of like what he did that day. And some are pretty boring and some are like whatever. But I kind of like fell down this rabbit hole. And like 
much like touching the void, like the only way out of the crevasse for me now is just like climb down. <laughs> okay. And I'm at like April, 2015. I'm like legit now watching this guy's entire year unfold. What I find interesting about it is that there are, if you watch anyone for a year who's like a successful person and Adam, like you were talking about Tony Robbins, you can find sources of inspiration. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was cool that he was like, yeah, I want to get back to my roots and like kind of create something every day. And, you know, he's super active. So he's, he's working out every day. And I don't know, it's been interesting to find a follow him. And, um, he's a talented filmmaker. His style's not for everybody. His, his vibe's not for everybody. I get it. Uh, but if you, if you want to get down a rabbit hole, I would, I would check out his films. Um, they're pretty funny. I think his wife's hilarious too. <laughs> she reminds me a lot of my I, wife. I, I love him. I think his video, the film where he rode into anything in a New York bike lane is the greatest testament to what a cyclist in New York goes through. And I say that as one. So I, I love the guys. I've not checked this out and I will now. And I'm going to make this. I'm down. I'm sorry. Sorry to cut you off, Gareth. I want to make this commitment to our audience. I would like to put, whether it's our guests or it's us personally, um, in, in the Facebook post that we put out, uh, I know it's usually a call to action to please listen to our podcast and like and listen, but I think we'll also, we'll start with this. We will start with, on episode 41, with putting a list of our, dist our uh, distractions um, on our Facebook channel, on our social media feed, so that we can actually share that with you you don't have to remember to go look for it later uh please just check out our social media and we will include links to our distractions for you to go check out when you say we you mean it's joe all. reed right i mean i will send them to joe reed <laughs> yeah or i will send them to you and i'll, I'll fax to the them to joe media reed posts. and joe reed can figure it out no Joe's it's had call. enough time off he should just do everything uh no i i think his videos are, are a lot of fun i would check them out uh okay those are our distractions this week that's our show this week if you didn't like it Remember what Malcolm Jenkins said about bow ties. The beauty, my friends, is in the imperfection. Subscribe, rate, and review us. Hey, world, how about some reviews on iTunes? And I don't want to sound like Devin Faraci just yelling at the world about no one reviewing the podcast positively. But if you do like the show, uh, we'd really appreciate it. No, no, no pressure, no judgment. But uh, if you get a chance and you're logged in on iTunes, go to our page, leave a review. It does help with visibility on the platform. Uh, and I don't want to hear, by the way, that it's too hard because that last Instagram picture you put up, you spent 17 minutes looking for the right filter. <laughs> Take the time, write a review. Right, right. So uh, follow us on Twitter at Just Not Sports. Follow us on Instagram at Just Not Sports. Email us tips, thoughts, topics, uh, you know, distractions, whatever you want, justnotsports at gmail.com. Let's end with some shout outs. Gareth, uh, you got any shout outs this week? Yeah, the man, the one, the only, JB. Uh, congratulations to him on the Pete Rosell Award and being honored at the Hall of Fame. Uh, can't wait to see him do his thing this year on CBS and Showtime. And I just honestly one of the nicest, one of my favorite people in sports and in television, and a great guy to walk through an airport with. That guy is throwing points and shout outs and hey, how are you? Steve? everybody you could possibly think of. So, JV, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute blast. I will shout out uh, former Packers wide receiver Greg Jennings. He's decided to, cliche phrase, hang up the cleats, um, ending his NFL career. One of the greatest route runners of all time. Recently on an episode of Ballers, he will have opportunities and distractions 
beyond his football career. So congrats on a great career, Greg. Any other shout-outs, Adam? As usual, my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. Love those guys. Tell Little Swanee, thank you for letting me use the credit card at Jimmy John. Sorry I left my wallet at the office. And uh, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, rapper extraordinaire, booty booty rappers, rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. Right now. Yeah.